Now today, during the children's message, I used my childhood Legos as an illustration. As an illustration of how people are so very different. We come in all shapes and sizes, we come in all colors, and we are so much better together than we are separate. And that's so very true. Legos are wonderful toys. I played with them. I played, had lots of them, lots more than was in that box that I brought here today. And I had many Legos that are damaged through some ways. One big Lego in that box has black scarring all over it because my brother liked to take black cat uh, firecrackers and put them inside my Lego constructions and blow them up. And he destroyed many of them. That was my brother. He did those kinds of things. Brothers do those kinds of things. If you don't have a brother, that's what it can be like. But Legos are cool. They, are, they come, as I said, they come in all sorts of shapes and all sorts of colors. And they're all so much better together than they are separate. But there's one thing about Legos that you learn very quickly, either as a parent or as a child. A whole bunch of them scattered on the floor can be a deadly experience. These little points and edges can dig into your foot when you step on them and they hurt, friends. They really hurt. And they can get easily broken and hurt even more. And that's another way that Legos are like people. They're wonderful when they're put together. They're wonderful when they're taken care of. They're wonderful when they aren't abused and cracked up. I know you can't see it. This one's broken on its edge. But when you step on them, they hurt and we hurt. When you step on them, they can break and pierce and you will scream, ow! And if they could scream, they would. And people do. And that's why sometimes we have such horrible events like violence in the streets. People, it just becomes overwhelming to them. It becomes overwhelming to them how they feel as if they've been stomped and stepped on repeatedly. And so they cry out when they break. And they cry out when they're hurt. And yes, it hurts others too. I was trying to think of a way to explain the violence that we've seen and the, the protestings, most of which have not been violent. And that's the only way I've been able to think about it in talking with children like a bunch of Legos on the floor. And when the society steps on and stomps on them, they are hurt and we are all hurt and diminished. We need to remember that we are called to be better than all of this. That we're called to be better than bigotry and racism, exclusion, segregation, we're called to be better than any and all of that because of Jesus. Because of the life that Jesus lived and the death that Jesus died for us all is cheapened when anyone's life is cheapened. 
and the death that we are baptized into, his death on the cross, which we are baptized into when we receive baptism, is worth more than we can imagine. It's worth more than this universe's value. How dare we devalue it by devaluing the personhood, the sacred worth of another human being. Paul writes here that we are baptized into his life and into his death. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I was in Kansas City about 20 years ago visiting uh, my friend Gary Butner, who's now passed on, who was a pastor in, in the, uh, the Christian church. And also I was teaching a class at St. Paul's School of Theology there in Kansas City, Missouri. And it was a cold January day, a bitterly cold January day, like you can get in that area. So cold that, you know, something we don't get to see very often in Texas, that the snow was coming down. I mean, it was like a lot of snow. So we had had a lunch together, and we went out into the park there nearby, and we were walking the little sidewalks in the park, and we came across a fountain that wasn't frozen over. It was spraying water, and it was real pretty, and there was lots of frozen material around it uh, and I remember we were talking about the theology of baptism because that's what I had been teaching that day and and Gary said you know Greg I know that you were never baptized by immersion you were a Methodist so you were baptized as a baby and you had water sprinkled over your head right and I said yeah that's right he says well we can solve that problem right here and right now I said really and he said yes I can baptize you right here right now in that fountain I said, you're kidding. It's like freezing cold. It's like two degrees on the Fahrenheit scale. Are you nuts? I'll catch my death the cold. And he says, yes, but you'll be saved, which was really important to him. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't believe that. I believe in one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of law. One Lord, one faith. And as I bent over to tie my shoelace, which had come undone, Gary reached out and pushed me into the fountain. Splash! And it was cold! And I came out and I said some rather unchristian words, as you can imagine, and we made our way back to where we could get, I could get warm and dry. And I was furious with Gary. And, and for the subsequent 18 years, until he passed away a couple of years ago, I never let him forget it. And he says, yeah, but I baptized you. <laughs> laugh about that. But the reality is, is that our immersion is into Jesus, into his love, not water. We symbolize it with water, but it's into Jesus and into his love and into his life and into his grace and into his death. We die to ourselves when we are baptized. We die to ourselves and to our own righteousness, which is filthy rags. We die to ourselves so that we may live in His glory, live in His grace, live in His love, live in His peace. 
And Paul says it very clearly as we come down here towards the end of the passage. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin. Prejudice and bigotry and racism, hatred and violence are all sin, my friends. Sin. Falling short of the glory of God. And we as Christians have been baptized into the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We have no room for that in our lives. Paul is being facetious at the beginning of it, sarcastic at the beginning of it. The question was, what then are we to say? Should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? Because because of sin, God's grace is present. Because we have sinned, God's grace is present to forgive us. So shouldn't we just sin more so we can get more grace? No. By no means, he says there in verse 2 which is an English way, a polite English way, of translating a Greek phrase which simply says, hell no, meginoita, literally, hell no, absolutely not, by no means. Sin has no place in our lives as Christians. What? Uh-oh, a Methodist pastor is getting ready to preach against sin. Yep. What is sin? It's falling short of the glory of God. It's missing the mark. It's not even getting close to the mark, to the target that God has for you. As I said a couple of years ago, one of my earliest sermons here, the word sin in Greek is amartia, and it means to miss the mark. It's an archery word. You pull back on the bow, you let the arrow fly, and the arrow even doesn't go left or right. It doesn't even make it to the target. It hits you, hits the ground between you and the target. You're not even getting close to God's will for you. That is what we do when we devalue a human life, when we step on a sister or brother physically or metaphorically, when we treat others as less than human, when we treat others not as we would be treated, when we treat others like Legos on the floor and step on them, we are engaging in sin. We are falling short of God's will for us and for others. And our baptisms into Jesus' life and death our baptisms, our immersion into Jesus and his life, his grace, his peace, his death, and his resurrection calls us to so much more. To so much more. So I want to ask you today, what sin, what falling short, what missing the mark, is plaguing you today. What sin, what failing, what pain, what fear, what barrier to a true life with Jesus holds you captive, keeps you a slave? Because you see, in Christ Jesus, we are set free 
from the slavery to sin and death, we are set free from that which holds us captive. And that sin, what sin holds you captive today? Now, we often focus on those things that we ought not to be doing, that we do so freely and so willingly. And I have a long list, my friends, of things that I know I need to turn over to God. And so do you. So do we all. But what right now is holding you captive and making it impossible for you to let go of yourself and take a hold of God? That's something this nation needs to ask itself. That's something that we all, regardless of what color Lego we are, we all need to be asking ourselves this question, what holds us captive? And unless you think otherwise, we're all held captive by something. We're all enslaved by sin somewhere in our lives. There's not a single person in here who's perfect. I hope not. One of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, early 20th century, late 19th century, late 1800s, was Henry Ward Beecher. He's a Presbyterian. And Henry Ward Beecher was preaching in a Methodist church in New York City one day. And he was in the middle of a sermon on perfection and its trials and difficulties. And he suddenly stopped and realized he was preaching to Methodists. So he said, you Methodists, you believe that you're going to be perfect someday. Well, I want to ask you, is anyone here perfect? And in the back of the congregation, a little old lady stood up. And he goes, sister, are you perfect? And she says, no, but my husband's first wife was. <laughs> We're not perfect, friends. None of us are. We all fall short of the life that God has for us, regardless of our race, regardless of our gender, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our national origin. We all fail to be the persons that God calls us to be. We're like broken Legos on the floor. Unwilling to come together, unwilling to do that which the creator of this universe calls us to do. What holds you captive today? I'm going to ask that to the whole nation, to the world. What holds you captive today? What enslaves you to sin? What sin holds you in prison? Guess what? In Jesus, they're all paid for and wiped away. And they can all be taken from us, every single one of them, without fail, including those that we don't even know about or realize we have. What sin holds you captive today, my friends, my sisters and brothers? What sin do you want to release? What sin must you release to Jesus? Oh, Craig. Even if I come up with one or two, there are going to be 50 and 60 more. Yep. But until you start addressing the one and the two, you'll never get to the 60 more. What holds you captive today? What sin holds you down?
the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in our baptisms into Jesus, in our baptism into his life and his grace and his peace, we have freedom. Freedom to let go of those sins, to turn our back on them and follow God. Turn our back on the various traditional sins, infidelity, and lying, and hatred, and the desire to murder and cut people off on the streets, and those sins that sometimes go deeper in our culture and society, like an unwillingness to look at different people as if they are just like us. What sin, sins, do you need to let go to God today? My friends, I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about that. I want you to offer it to God who can take it from you. If only you'll let it go. Hmm. Greg, it's hard. I know it. But it's the only way we will live in glory everlasting with Jesus if we let go of those sins. It says here in verse 4 towards the end of it, just as Christ, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 4, therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into his death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I want to walk in newness of life. I know you do. Our nation needs to walk in newness of life. Our world needs to walk in newness of life. And that takes Jesus. That takes following a Jewish rabbi from Nazareth, living in a land that was occupied by a foreign army who was oppressed by his own people and murdered by his own people because he dared to speak out against the systemic societal evils of his day. It means following Jesus where he leads us. May we be willing to let go and follow Jesus individually, as a church, as a community, as a state, as a nation, and as a world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may God's people say, In your